Welcome to another episode of the Deborah Health Report, where we dive into current health and medical topics to keep the Delaware Valley informed and updated. The conversation continues this month with cardiac electrophysiologist Dr. Jonathan Crathen about atrial fibrillation, or AFib, the most common adult cardiac rhythm disorder. If AFib is caught early enough, treatments available at Deborah can reverse it, and if caught later, can make it manageable enough for a long, happy, and active life. Here's Rasa Kay. Hi, I'm Rasa Kay, and we're continuing our talk with cardiac electrophysiologist Dr. Jonathan Crathen about atrial fibrillation, the most commonly treated arrhythmia, or heart rhythm problem. When the upper chambers of the heart beat out of sync with the lower chambers, it's AFib, and it can result in a heart that beats too fast, too slow, or irregularly, and it can spike your risk for blood clots, stroke, and heart failure. We've been focused on what's called non-valvular AFib. You've probably heard the disclaimer on some of the medication commercials that aren't meant to treat AFib caused by a heart valve problem. And that's because valvular AFib can require surgery to treat, not meds. Dr. Crathen certainly does a lot of heart valve procedures for AFib. Both types present with the same symptoms. Chest pain or pressure, dizziness, fatigue, sweating, and heart racing when sitting still. But our conversation is focusing more on the more common non-valvular form of atrial fibrillation that you can often control with lifestyle changes and medication. As Dr. Crathen explained in our first segment, lifestyle choices can be a contributor to the development of AFib. The biggest risk factors are your normal cardiovascular risk factors like hypertension, uh, history of a heart attack, uh, and then some non-cardiac risk factors like sleep apnea, uh, obesity, and then there is a strong correlation with alcohol use. Yes, alcohol use, and over-imbibing other stimulants. We'll pick up here with preventing and treating atrial fibrillation from dietary to lifestyle choices and treatment options and management. Again, here's Dr. Jonathan Crathen. So if you divide up the most common stimulants that that we use, um, caffeine through coffee, um, alcohol, and energy drinks, um, there certainly is a a big uh, correlation between alcohol and atrial fibrillation. the term would be holiday heart, where you have a patient that uh, drinks excessive alcohol on the weekends and can actually develop AFib from that. Um, so that's pretty common. Energy drinks, uh, due to the high caffeine content and other stimulants like ginseng, there, there have been a lot of case reports about younger patients developing AFib from the energy drinks. Uh, coffee, in moderation, uh, the jury's still out. Um, a lot of studies actually suggest a lower risk of AFib with moderate coffee drinking. So I'd say of those three, uh, the most dangerous for AFib would be alcohol, followed by energy drinks, and then coffee may not be as dangerous as we, we used to think in the past. So clearly, if you are diagnosed with AFib, you need to be in very close communication with your doctor about how much of any of that, you know, the, these beverages you'd be consuming. But are you saying that overconsumption of these beverages can lead to AFib in somebody who, who has risk factors? Yes, absolutely. Uh, overconsumption of energy drinks and alcohol uh, can certainly lead to AFib. Um, the jury's still out whether excessive coffee drinking can lead to AFib. Can you still exercise if you've been diagnosed with AFib? Yes, I think if you have been diagnosed with AFib and you're monitoring and we've identified what triggers may be for AFib, moderate exercise is always a good idea. 
now that we've set the stage that, okay, don't be afraid to go get diagnosed if you think you may have a rhythm problem with your heart. Absolutely go get it checked out because you can clearly live with it and maybe not lose all of the beverages or the exercise activities that, that you want to do. So treatments then for AFib once you have diagnosed it. So with most diseases, uh, diagnosing uh, atrial fibrillation early and treating it early uh, has better success rates. The way we look at treating atrial fibrillation is kind of the ABCs, um, A for anticoagulation for preventing stroke risk, uh, B for better symptom control, uh, controlling rates and in some cases reverting the rhythm back into a normal rhythm, and C, cardiovascular risk prevention and stratification. So treating things like hypertension, uh, obesity, sleep apnea, those are the three mainstays of treating atrial fibrillation. What kind of lifestyle changes always help mitigate AFib? So in conjunction with our other treatments, uh, lifestyle recommendations uh, certainly help with, with AFib. Uh, number one would be uh, diet and exercise. There's been a lot of studies that showed much greater success rates in patients that employed those te techniques. Avoiding triggers, like we talked about, alcohol and energy drinks, and making sure that you're up on your cardiovascular health, your blood pressure is controlled, you're doing regular screenings for coronary artery disease, and you're up to date with, uh, with all of the rest of your U U.S. Preventative Service Task Force recommendations for general adult health. So when you say diet, and we talked about certainly the beverages, is salt out of the question? Are, are these part of the, the dietary changes? Um, I mean, what, what is it that you tell your, your patients are foods that they probably need to avoid? So uh, excess sodium uh, or salt um, is always bad for the heart because you're increasing uh, fluid buildup within the heart, increasing the chamber size. Uh, so we always like to avoid salt. The other things that have shown benefit in atrial fibrillation uh, would be the Mediterranean diet, uh, specifically adding things like olive oil, fish oils, uh, have shown to reduce the risk of AFib as well as other cardiovascular conditions. So those are the two recommendations that I make is limiting salt and employing the Mediterranean diet. Do you ever advise, are, are there any kind of supplements that are helpful? You know, there, there have not been significant studies showing that supplements reduce or prevent the progression of AFib. That being said, a lot of patients uh, are willing to take things like fish oil, which have not been proven to be detrimental to AFib. Uh, so I think that used in conjunction with other treatments is not a bad idea. So could you say that AFib is reversible? AFib is reversible if we treat it early in the sense that if we diagnose and treat AFib at the early stages, we do not see any progression of AFib, and actually patients can go AFib-free. The converse side of that would be that if patients have AFib for a very, very long time without being treated, it becomes very hard or impossible to get them out of atrial fibrillation. So if you have atrial fibrillation, living a long, full life would mean managing your AFib. What kind of plan do you set up for that for, for, for patients? What's the range of that in terms of managing and living with AFib? So patients certainly can live long, full lives with atrial fibrillation. Uh, the management of those patients uh, should certainly revolve around uh, cardioembolic stroke risk reduction um, and controlling symptoms. We have a number of treatment modalities, including catheter ablation, uh, medications, uh, and newer blood thinners where patients do very well with AFib long-term. If someone is in your office and you say, you know, I think we're going to need to 
consider an ablation for you. What does that mean? And once you explain it, how do you settle them down? Because to me, I find that part of your work absolutely staggering. So catheter ablation for AFib is a commonly performed procedure um, that's really had a, uh, a boom in success rates based on the technology that we use. Essentially, the signals for AFib come from the pulmonary veins in the left atrium. Uh, so by doing ablation around these pulmonary veins, we can prevent electrical signals from exciting the heart into AFib. Uh, with success rates uh, approaching that, and in some cases exceeding that, of uh, rhythm control with medications. Um, so we always offer that to patients, particularly for patients who have had side effects uh, or who don't want to take additional medications to keep them in normal rhythm. Um, so we offer ablation that we perform safely with good outcomes. So what's the experience like for somebody who has to have an ablation? How long are you down for the count? I mean, how, how does it feel? So when I describe the procedure to patients, uh, we talk about going through a vein in the leg uh, all the way up into the heart, uh, and then putting the catheter into the left atria where AFib comes from, um, and performing radiofrequency ablation uh, around the pulmonary veins where these abnormal electrical signals come from. Uh, patients are asleep for the procedure. They typically go home the same day or the following day. Um, at Deborah, we use state-of-the-art equipment, including uh, intracardiac echocardiography, uh, stereotaxis, remote catheter manipulation, uh, and 3D mapping uh, systems um, to really provide patients with the, the best possible experience for ablation. Uh, typically, pa patients uh, feel very good after ablation. They don't believe that they've had a major cardiac procedure, uh, and they do very well. What kind of downtime do you have after a typical ablation? We usually tell patients to take it easy for about a week, uh, just mainly related to our, our vascular access, putting the big IV in the leg. Um, but otherwise, there's not really a lot of limitations with it. So you're zapping tissue in the heart with an electric pulse, and the potentially bigger recovery issue is the incision point where the catheter goes in. That's correct. That's amazing. Is there anything down the road in terms of treatments that are being tested, looked at for AFib that, uh, that have you jazzed? Yeah, there's absolutely a lot of... Uh interest and data in the pulse field ablation, um, which actually reduces the, the time of the procedure uh, and creates this kind of microporation in, in cells almost at a molecular level to create that scar channel rather than using radiofrequency ablation. Um, that's certainly very exciting. All right. So when should you see a doctor about concerns, suspicions about a heart rhythm issue? If you ever feel like you have an abnormal heartbeat or uh, EKG-enabled watch, uh, a regular pulse, or any concern, uh, you should always see your doctor right away um, because, again, the earlier we treat this condition, the better, the better people do. And why should someone seek treatment at Deborah? Deborah offers the best care, um, particularly when it comes to catheter ablation, uh, but as far as follow-up and the whole team at Deborah, uh, you absolutely get the best care. Uh, we take it very, very seriously and do the best job that we can. That's cardiac electrophysiologist Dr. Jonathan Creighton on atrial fibrillation. 
The CDC estimates that more than 12 million people in the U.S. will have AFib by the year 2030. But as Dr. Crathen says, it's not necessarily inevitable. We'll have more medical news and insights for you in our next health report, which drops the first Wednesday of the month. So I hope you'll join us then. I'm Rasa Kay. You can always listen to all of the informative Deborah Doctor interviews at DeborahHealthReport.com. Schedule an appointment at DemandDeborah.org.